0: You can come to the cross and accept the marvelous atoning work that Jesus accomplished there and become one of God's children. Enjoy the presence of Jesus forever or you can reject him and face eternal chastisement when he returns. Obviously we know which of those two is the better choice. My hope is that everyone here has made that choice as we reflect today more about Christ and this miraculous presentation that he's giving to John and these messages to the Apostle John and the churches as we're really still beginning our study of Revelation. You can turn there, Revelation chapter 2, and another one of these churches, Lord willing, uh, tonight we'll see his message to the church of Sardis. This morning, we will see Jesus and we will hear his message to the church in Thyatira. And here we have Jesus revealed to John as the victorious son of God who holds authority over the church. We've seen that already. Jesus has the authority to tell his church what he wants them to do. And we must submit to that. And he also knows intimately the condition of each local congregation. And folks, he walks in the midst of us here this morning. And he knows our strengths and our weaknesses. And he expects that we will, as we hear these messages to these churches almost really 2,000 years ago, that we will apply what we hear and examine our own churches and our own lives for the strengths and weaknesses. And we want to be heavy on the strengths, but we need to pay attention to the weaknesses as well. His message to this fourth church, Thyatira, combines a rather brief review of some marvelous, wonderful strengths, but a stronger focus on some destructive, terrible weaknesses this church. And we are going to see their list of works really, again, is a marvelous resume of ministry effectiveness. We would all want this list that Jesus gives from this church. But the problem is they're tolerating, and even more so than a number of the church in Pergamum, who is tolerating evil. They're giving in and giving sanction, people in the church and the leader in the church, to wickedness in their very midst. They're giving approval of it. Remarkable. Folks, what we're going to see in this morning is a tendency among all churches to tolerate a certain amount of wickedness and evil in our churches. Some less, some more. Tyra, there's a whole lot of evil being tolerated. We need to examine, are we tolerating wickedness and evil in our church Philip's Chapel Baptist Church within our ministry. See, this church is the church of good and evil works. Start reading at verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and your faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. All the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Father, what a sobering warning this is. In the midst of wonderful attributes. That any church would want the Lord Jesus to count among our church. There is the toleration and sanction of wickedness that must be dealt with in this church and by a time. But Lord, just to hear about what they need to do is not enough. Let us examine our hearts. See the wickedness and the sin that we are tolerating. Perhaps even in this church. Be willing to repent of that. And for those that are faithful, and persevere, a wonderful thought and blessing that we will rule and reign with Jesus and his kingdom. Let that provide motivation as we study this word, the Father, and give us much understanding through the work of the Holy Spirit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Church of Good and Evil Works. In the first two verses here, we see Jesus has full knowledge of commendable ministry works. But he perceives all good and evil works in ministry. He knows. He knows the quality of our works. Back to verse 18. And to the angel of the church, and again, the angel, not trying to puff myself up as leadership, but is the pastor or the leader within the church in Thyatira. And that words that Jesus gives to um, that church is the words of the Son of God. Here is the only time in Revelation, by the way, that Jesus is referred to as the Son of God. And so it stands out as significant. That's why I had um, Sandy read Psalm 2, which I think is significant as well, as we look back and are reminded of what our response to the Son of God needs to be needs to be in submission. Why? Because he has eyes like a flame of fire. And we've seen this vision. We've had John describe this, 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 this characteristic of Jesus already. And now it comes again. He's reminding this church in particular, those flames of fire, as odd as that may seem, means that Jesus sees all. Nothing escapes his view or his gaze. And he's always looking upon his church. But then... It also says whose feet are like burnished bronze, like polished bronze. That has the idea, I believe, of purity. The purity of Jesus gazes and knows the purity of his church. And so it is important that we respond to the Son of God who knows our hearts in the right way. That's why Psalm, I'll read it again, Psalm 2, 10 through 12 gives us, The response we need to have, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. His wrath is quickly kindled, but blessed are all who take refuge in him. That could sum up what we'll see this morning in the message to this church. Folks, we don't want the anger of the son against us as his people. but We want to take refuge in him, pleasing him. Being giving good ministry service that's free from impurity. So Jesus is giving this fourth address, this church in Thyatira. Thyatira was actually the smallest of the address cities in this list. Um, and it's interesting, its message from Jesus is the longest. It's a little bit of a contrast there. For those of you who like history, it was founded after the emperor, the empire of Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, after his death, his great empire was divided up into segments. And a portion of Asia was ruled by a group called the Seleucid Dynasty. And Thyatira came into prominence during that time. It also became a close, almost you could refer to it as a sister city of Pergamum. Because Thyatira, although it was gaining prominence, was not able to defend itself well enough without assistance. In fact, it had a history of enemy people just constantly coming through, destroying the town, the city, and building it up in the way that they wanted to, and then hundreds of years later, another enemy would come in and tear that down, and they were constantly in a state of rebuilding. Well, their relationship with Pergamum did help them as Pergamum, and that's the church that Jesus that we examined last week, that Jesus gave the message for last week. Um, it had the strength and the power to be able to help defend Thyatira in its weakness. It eventually became under the control of Rome around about two hundred years before the birth of Christ. And an important highway ran from Pergamum through Thyatira and then on into Laodicea. The rest of the churches that we will mention all had this important road going through them as a highway um, to enable them uh, to to go through and to uh, visit and spend time in each of these cities. And that road brought eventual prosperity to this city. Now, it's important to note in this that as she became more prosperous, Thyatira became more prosperous because multiple trade guilds rose up. And it, made, it became a place during the New Testament time filled with textile workers and other important artisan positions. These were folks that could craft things well with their hands and made goods that were needed all over the world. And many of these folks resided here in Thyatira, and they were required to be a part of a guild as a group that would represent them and would help train them. And all of that sounds good enough you remember in the book, uh, or in the book of Acts, when Paul visited the city of Philippi for the first time, there was a lady named Lydia. And she was a seller of purple. She made garments, uh, dyed garments with a special coloring. She was a part of one of those guilds from Thyatira. And she had a connection there as well. So all of that sounds good, but there was a very negative aspect of this. In those guilds, they held regular fe- festivals and feasts that the members were expected to be a part of, to attend and eat food that had been offered. And each guild had a particular god, false god, assigned to them, and they would offer um, food offerings and other offerings to these false idols, and then they would eat that food to the false idol of this particular work guild. And if that wasn't bad enough then, after these feasts, very immoral activities would commence. They were a part of this. And if a Christian, a believer, wanted to excuse themselves from any part of this feast because of their sensitivities and their concerns about morality, they were often open to ridicule and even possible persecution. They were expected folks to stay for the whole thing. Now, we think uh, our society today is debauched and in trouble. Folks, That's nothing new. These folks were deviant, and this culture was deviant and wicked, and they expected the Christians to be a part of it. And so this church faced pressure to be involved in these sins, and they needed a reminder that the very Son of God knows all their actions and walks among them in glorious purity. And so when they're choosing between maybe their very life's occupation continuing on in that, in their relationship with Jesus, they need to be reminded Jesus is watching. He knows what we're doing. That will bring proper motivation to them. Well, with all of that temptation and expectation, this church was performing commendably. It had some wonderful things going on. Jesus knows the good and evil works, and he's fully aware of our good works in each ministry. Why? Because the Son of God again sees all things, He's fully aware of our strengths, and we're thankful for that. And Thyatira's list is very impressive. Look at this. I know your works, your love. So stop there. What was the problem with the church in Ephesus? All the wonderful things that the church of Ephesus was doing and Jesus said yet it's all of naught because you have lost your love and Jesus even said that if you don't change and rekindle that love I'll take your place from among the churches you will not serve me any longer. Jesus uh, takes love for him and love for his people very seriously. It's one of the most important things. And this church has that. Praise the Lord. They have no trouble loving Jesus and loving others. Not only that, but they have very strong faith. And their faith is evident to those around them. And that love and faith then fuels their service, faithful service, because of their love for Christ but also patient endurance because of their faith in him. Folks, we can only be patient when we truly trust that God is who he says he is and that he will enable us to get through. If you have a tendency, if you're struggling with patience right now, you may be struggling with faith. Because when we believe that, that God's word and he says that it will give us gentleness and carefulness and ability to, to, to suffer, Throughout the long course, then when we don't, we're not able to do that, we're not trusting in his power to work in our lives. And these church had all of these wonderful attributes. And then it says, your latter works exceed the first. In other words, like, unlike Ephesus, who was lacking in their works because of a lack of love, Thyatira was growing in their works because of their love for Jesus. They were growing in these wonderful works. They weren't satisfied with just a certain level of service for Christ, but they were moving on. They were growing. God and Jesus was doing wonderful things through their ministry. It was not lagging at all. Well, what this shows us, before we go any further, is that this is a wonderful description that we should want in ministry. Love and faith fuel committed service and endurance. Half-hearted service and irritability with difficulties indicate lack of love and faith. And so, folks, let's make sure that as we look at this list, as brief as it is mentioned here, that we say, Lord, please help build this chapter. Build Chapel Baptist Church to have this list of qualities among its people. Let us be known for that, for our love and our service and our faith and our patience. We want that. <clears throat> a Wonderful, wonderful testimony indeed. And yet, that wonderful list of accomplishments only gets a brief attention. Did you notice we still have quite a bit of the passage to go through? Jesus' focus is on their evil works, that they are practicing in their midst. And he has rebuke for contemptible ministry impurity. Folks, he knows the full scope of the impurity that we allow into our churches. Jesus is fully aware. and He says here in verse 20 that he has against them. And we don't want Jesus having against us ought against us in our ministry for something that we're allowing and this ministry was was facing the correction of Jesus. Verse 20, I have ought this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat foods sacrificed to idols. Well, i would expect that most of us... Last week, um, we looked through Jesus' message and we heard about Balaam, and I think we needed a little bit of reminding, maybe, about who Balaam was. Pretty much everybody knows who Jezebel is, right? Uh, The wicked queen, King Ahab's wife in the Old Testament, that brought down the people of the northern kingdom and tempted and seduced them into idol worship and also... We don't catch this many times, but fornication and immorality was associated with Baal worship as well. And Jezebel brought all of that into the northern kingdom. And then remember as well in the southern kingdom of Judah, King there married their, Jezebel's daughter, and the idol worship and immorality spread to the southern kingdom. Unfortunately, Jezebel had a very wicked, awful influence upon God's people. But at the time of this writing, that was a thousand years ago or more. So how can Jezebel have come back to be bothering God's people in the church? Well, let's be clear. This is not that Jezebel, but he's describing an actual leader in the church who is acting like Jezebel, who in her her toleration of sin And seducing people to be comfortable with idol worship is, in effect, resembling Jezebel in that very ministry, and the ministry is tolerating that. It says she calls herself a prophetess and some sort of female spiritual leader here, promoting acts that resemble the evil queen Jezebel from the Old Testament. Well, that's where we get that back—that background of what Thyatira was facing kind of uh, merges and syncs with what is going on here with this particular lady, who obviously we uh, we can understand then was in some way sanctioning um, the the church's their participation in these feasts with these guilds. And sanctioning this immorality and this idol worship becomes apparent that as these people were facing these temptations and meeting in these guilds together and their very jobs and occupations were on the line, that this lady was saying, you know, it's okay, we're believers. And there was some sort of teaching at that time, a false teaching. The church was struggling with that people were trying to infiltrate with basically saying, you know what, since we have the Holy Spirit, it really doesn't matter if we get involved in sin or not, because we're God's children, and he is working through us. And that's why in, in Romans, Paul has to say, do you dare to continue on in sin? You think you could continue on in sin? There was a faction within Christianity that felt like, you know, it's okay to participate in sin because we're, we have the Holy Spirit and we're cleansed of God, and so God doesn't mind. And you then uh, tie that in with what this lady is teaching here. She's saying all the things that they expect us to do for these guilds and these uh, feasts and banquets and the immorality involved with that, folks. It's okay to participate in. God will understand. So Jesus says no, that's wrong thinking. I won't tolerate your toleration of this evil within your midst. This woman is a Jezebel and you should not be involved in anything that she promotes. I do care about the sin that you get involved in. I do care about your impurities. And here's the amazing thing, as we think about this, to think of the um, bravado of this woman to actually come into the church and say it's okay to do these things, to be involved in immoral acts, to be involved in idol worship. We would think Jesus would immediately respond with, get out. He would immediately bring the wrath and, and, and punishment and discipline Upon this teacher. But look at his great grace and mercy. This is remarkable to me. He gave her time to repent. Verse 21. I gave her time to repent. But she refuses to repent. Of her sexual immorality. Jesus in his great love and grace. Had given her. And also those who were following her teachings. Time to to turn. To do what was right. Probably, if I had to guess uh, how that happened, it was probably through John and his ministry to these churches that he had gone to this church before, before he was exiled from the island of Patmos, and told them, you're doing wrong, and told this female um, leader in whatever capacity she was leading as a prophetess. You know, there were good prophetesses at this time in the church. It was a unique office that we don't acknowledge today. The time for that has passed but were there, there were those, the daughters of Philip, the deacon, and others that are referred to as prophetesses that did good things, but this lady Jezebel isn't one of those. She is referring to herself as a leader in the church, but she's leading them astray. And Jesus gave her multiple opportunities to repent, and she refused, amazingly. She had not done so, but rather... She continued further in her sin and drew people in the church with her. Well, folks, is the local body of Christ today immune from false worship and immorality entering into its midst, especially with its ready access today from our phones, from technology? We can access wickedness much more quickly than God's people have ever been able to before. And it's a disservice to say, "Well, wow, that's a really awful, wicked church back then." I'm so glad that we don't have any of that today. No, it still happens today. This goes further than the Church of Pergamum tolerating idolatry and immorality. This church brings it into their midst, says it's okay. Well, I may be a little bit naive here. I struggled to think of actual examples of where that might take place. I'm sure that it does, and maybe you can think of examples where that takes place in local churches in such a a um, direct and, um, and and wicked way. But I still thought of some ways in which we can allow this, even in churches. I know of churches that have movie events, large churches. They have these big screen TVs, and many times, this is still a popular thing, they will have movie night, and it will be on a Sunday night many times, or Saturday. And they will play movies, secular movies, that are popular and that people enjoy, direct from Hollywood many times. And I've even seen um, in their advertising, they encourage you to dress up like the characters in those movies, and then after that, they discuss them. They take time to discuss after the movie and have a discussion about what that movie meant. Now, that may in of itself may, not, may sound harmless, but in those movies, whether they're popular or not, there are um, aspects of immorality in things. And some of these movies that our culture says, these are good things, these are wonderful things, there are still aspects of immorality and immoral acts that are taking place in a number of these movies, and the church is sitting there watching these things and then commenting about them afterwards. It can still happen today. How about in our personal lives? Do we allow TV and movies to have such a place in our hearts that we don't have any filter? I've heard of Christians encouraging others to watch TV shows that are blatantly filled with immorality. And even binge watch them, as is so common today. Spend literally hours and hours and stay up all night to watch these movies. Blatant immorality. And yet Christians will say, oh, but it's such a good storyline and it's such great entertainment. Encouraging people in immoral things. I know another aspect too, just that um, there are. Are those ministries that promote family meetings? And, and I'm thinking one ministry where it promotes uh, dads getting together with their sons, or dads getting together, I guess. I hope their sons are involved in this, maybe their older sons. And they talk about how to be a better dad and what the Bible says and biblical principles about being a better dad. And they do it in a local bar. And while they're talking about these things, they drink alcohol. Now, I've mentioned before that I don't believe that God promotes or condones alcoholic drinking of alcoholic beverages today. But that's not the point I'm making in this. I have known these things, and people act as if really, in in my mind, it becomes apparent that alcohol has become an idol to them. And they literally, without any discernment or any real discernment or careful consideration, will just jump into these things because the most important thing is that they get a good drink. They get a buzz or whatever. Not what God is concerned about in their lives. And even alcohol and many other things in our lives can be a modern-day idol that we promote over Jesus Christ. And we fall into sin that way. It can happen today, folks. And the same warning Jesus gives us today, but he gives us time to repent. What a wonderful thing that is. But if we don't repent, please know that he will discipline participation in ministry and purity. That's where verse 22 continues. Be bold. I will throw her onto a sickbed. Those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. All the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Jesus' disciplinary response, if we will not respond to his gracious call of repentance, will come at some point, folks, swiftly and devastatingly. He describes here the very couch of pleasure where this lady Probably refers to the couches that they would eat, they, that they would be seated on or perched on while they were eating these meals with these guilds. And then unfortunately, these activities that would take place on them afterwards. And Jesus is saying on this very couch of pleasure that this leader is promoting, I will turn it into a couch, a place of illness and great sickness for her. A sin bed will be replaced with a sick bed. This has the type of sickness and illness it seems in keeping with this that literally could be deadly, and throw and throw and, and cause awful pain, and eventual death. Jesus is serious about the purity of his church, folks, and he won't allow these leaders to stand. But there are warnings, not just for her, deadly illness or perhaps great tribulation in her life. There are also warnings to her followers, and there's three groups here. Remember, he's already referred to those who tolerate her. That's the first group. The second group, then, is the one that will be dealt with, those who follow after her works but are still hesitant. I'm not sure. I'm not sure this is the best thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to follow her teachings. That's the second group that's described there. Those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of, notice, her works. The reason why I say they commit these acts with hesitancy is Jesus says that they are her works. They're not their works yet. It's not the works of the followers yet, but it's her work. So it seems to be that they're following with hesitancy. They haven't fully embraced what she's promoting, what they're following after that. Well, what is this great tribulation? Well, Jesus, we're going to see soon in Revelation that there is a great tribulation that's described. Is that what Jesus is talking about here? Well, in the great tribulation that's going to be described that we'll see later on in the book, it is for those... um, that have not trusted Christ, that are not a part of the church. The church will be removed from that tribulation. Praise the Lord. Thankful for that. So in context here, these are true believers, a part of the church. He's not saying here that they will face that great tribulation. But in context, um, they will be given over to great troubles and great afflictions in the present time. I believe in context here what Jesus is saying, if you will not stop following that immoral teacher, then life will be a very hard thing for you. And I will bring great troubles and great afflictions. And when Jesus says great tribulation, he means it. he's capable of bringing all kinds of difficulties into your life that you don't want to face. But again, it's not to be mean or angry, but it's to wake us up and to draw us back to him. He says, I will do this if I have to. To those who follow after her, even if they're hesitant. There's another group. I will strike her children. These children are those that have fully embraced her practices and are her offspring, her mentors, her disciples, so to speak. Jesus says, very possibly, if you are fully committed to her and will not repent. And I have no more use for you, and I can take you from this world and bring death and end your life and end your opportunity for service. Those who fully embrace her ways are courting possible death. And then on top of that, he says, the judgment that this church faces will be made known throughout all of the churches. They will be a... Um, a representative, an example of what not to do in God's church, in Jesus' church. And everyone will look at that and say, ooh, we don't want to go there. We don't want that to happen to us. He says, all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and that church will be an example for all the others to get right, to repent, and remove the iniquity and impurity from their lives. Because Jesus says, I know Your heart, and I know whether your works are good or evil, and I will deal with you as my children if you continue in evil ways, because I know and I discern. He knows all that goes on in our inner man, in our minds, in our hearts. Really, it's a fulfillment of Jeremiah 17.10. Do you remember that? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit. His deeds. Jesus will deal with us according to our works, both good and evil. As I was studying for this, I thought of an example that, you know, in all of these things, really, when it comes to Jesus' discipline, where he literally brings illness or even death to a particular believer's life, that really, in the end, is between that believer and God. We can't ultimately look at other people's um, sickness and their death and say, "I, I knew that was going to happen because of the sin that was in their life." No, that's between them and God. God's making the point with that individual. But there are things that are so blatant that sometimes you, you look back and you and, and you can see, "Hmm, I wonder." I knew of a church ministry, a faithful pastor who had served in that ministry for a long time. He wasn't perfect; he made mistakes but he had served very faithfully. Um, he was getting to the end of his tenure, and he had some, some people that had um, fought against him and, and were, were angry with him for some things that weren't legitimate. Uh, they were not legitimate things for them to be angry about, and regardless of whether they were or not, this group of people within the church were not handling things very well. They were gossiping. They were backbiting. They were talking about this pastor behind their back, And there was one young man in particular who said some very grievous things about this pastor that actually accused him of being a type of Jezebel in his own church. And this was a faithful man who served God faithfully. Continued on. And as I heard more reports from this church ministry, eventually this young man developed a minor form of cancer, but it was still very serious. And he had to go get treatment for that. Interesting enough, from what I remember, it softened him, and he even went back and apologized to that pastor, and I believe got things right. There's just one example of, I think, might very well have been God trying to get someone's attention with that, and I think they got the message too. Well, certainly when it comes to this allowing this type of wickedness in our churches, God has the option to deal with us with sickness and death if he needs to, for purity in his church to be maintained. Well, that's a, a lot of negativity. But let's end the message with some encouraging things here because Jesus also has great blessings for those who remain committed 24 through 28. And Jesus can strengthen us to resist and persevere. Folks, as strong as the temptation is in our society and culture, as strong as it was in Thyatira, Jesus can still enable us to resist. We don't have to give in. Look at verse 24. Really a wonderful, um, calming message. An encouraging message to a group within the church that were keeping themselves pure, that was doing right. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, we don't know how large this group was. But it was, they were doing the right thing. They did not hold to this wicked teaching, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. Here we find as well that this woman and her teaching actually in some way or another encouraged learning more about the devices of Satan. It goes back to that philosophy. It's okay to learn more about the world and and the devices that Satan uses, and we're Christians, we have the Spirit, so we can endure, and, and, and that won't have an effect on us, and learn as much as you can about Satan's devices, and Jesus says no. Don't we have another passage of Scripture that says not to know, to be innocent, to not know much about that which is evil? Scripture is clear, and these, this group within the church said, we have no desire to learn that. We don't want to know all the evil devices of Satan. And he says, to you, you've done right. I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. This burden of fighting temptation and my giving you success, it's enough. I'm not going to put anything else on you. You're doing right, and I will carry you through. But the concern there, or or the um, command is only, verse 25, only hold fast what you have until I come. And there's the implication there that they can hold fast because he's with them. Very Son of God can enable all of us to hold fast. So many times we can get caught up in the lie that, you know, temptation is just too hard. It's just too powerful. The wickedness and things are too dark. And sometimes I just have to give in. I can't help myself, I can't get victory. And Jesus reminds us here, that is dece- that is deceitful, that is a lie. Jesus can help us to hold fast, and he will help us to do that. And so we deceive ourselves when we think the pressure toward evil is too strong to resist. He will always give us strength to do so. And furthermore, folks, he's going to reward us in a wonderful way. Look at this, 26. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end. That's the same people, by the way. Both. They do both. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Here is a wonderful promise that those that hold fast will rule and reign with Christ in his millennial kingdom. The thousand-year reign of Christ when he returns, to return in the rapture, as we'll continue to see through this book, to bring the church to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And at the end of the tribulation, he will return, and there will be that wonderful thousand-year reign. And, folks, we will reign with him, and he will give us authority over the subjects of his kingdom. Well, how can he do that? Because he has all authority that's given to him from his Father. And therefore, he has the authority and the ability to give us that authority. And even more so, it says, he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. This authority, really, is to discipline rebellion. Jesus isn't going to put up with rebellion in his kingdom. Now, he's loving, and he's caring, and um, he cares for his people. But, folks, he will deal with impurity, and in the millennial kingdom, People won't be able to get away with things. There will be just, God will act in a just way, and he will deal with sin and rebellion quickly. And here's the picture. He will allow us that authority as well. Don't we get discouraged and frustrated by the evil in our world today and the injustice, and we think, why won't somebody do something? How can they let this go? Jesus, one day, folks, is going to give us the ability to do something along with him. That's going to be a wonderful thing. It's going to be exciting to be a part of that. And then furthermore, he says, even more wonderful, verse 28, I will give him the morning star. What is that? Is that a special star? Celestial, we get to pick our star and it's named after us. No, it's so much more wonderful than that. Because later on, Jesus will refer to himself in Revelation as the morning star. And it points out that we will enjoy the presence of the morning star of Jesus Christ forever. And this is a promise for the true members of the church of Jesus Christ. All of us will have a part in being in his presence forever. And Jesus then again reminds us, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the Holy Spirit speaking, sent by Jesus. And he says, we do well to listen to this, to this message, to examine our church, and to be motivated to remain faithful, because we will rule with Jesus, and we will be in his presence forever. Doesn't the heavy influence of our world and culture today seem almost overwhelming on really a daily basis? I mean, there's constant pressure, right, to give in and participate in some way or another with the wickedness around us. We feel that all the time. Remember this message, folks, that Jesus is ever near. He's with you. He's there. He knows. He knows your actions. He knows our thoughts, our vulnerabilities, and our strengths. So to continue a pursuit of evil deeds will be disastrous. And Jesus warns, don't do that. But to remain pure and committed in our works will be rewarded. And he promises he will enable us to endure till he returns. And the reward will be to share with him in his magnificent millennial kingdom reign. Wonderful opportunity. But even more blessed than that will be to share in the presence of the morning star. Forever. The most beautiful sunrise or sunset or starry night that you've ever seen will not compare with the presence of our morning star. We will see forever. And it won't ever get cloudy. That is enough motivation for us to press on and endure. Father, help us. The world is dark, the temptations are strong, and certainly in this church of Thyatira, it was hard. And yet we're reminded that you will help us to hold fast. You will enable us to endure. And the blessings of enduring are eternally marvelous. To be able to rule, to in some way have the authority that God has given to you to, to help in some way is mind-boggling, but precious. At the same time, the thought of being in eternity with you forever forever. Being in the presence of the beautiful morning star is the, is the diamond, the jewel above all others. Let these promises keep us faithful and pure and devoted in service and love and faithfulness and patience till you return. We need your help for that. And we ask for that this morning. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.